Ephesus. So this is Philippians chapter 2. And just by way of introduction, this is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a group of Christians, the early Christians in the very early days of the church, uh, who were uh, in a city called, uh, well, it's a town more like, uh, called Philippi, and he's writing to them. So this is where we are at. Verse uh, 5, Philippians 2, if you want to follow along. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, today I'd love to talk to you about how to have the mindset of a king. How to have the mindset of a king. Um, be interesting to know what, how many people have been involved in watching any of the coronation. So, like yesterday, if you watched any or some or all of the coronation, I'd love just to get a sort of straw poll about who was watching and who wasn't. Okay, interesting. It's not about who was and who wasn't. It's just a general feel. I'm not judging. Everyone's got different opinions on this. Uh, so, and what about um, coronation lunches? Did anyone have today a coronation lunch? Did anyone go to a coronation? Yes, we've got, we've got two. <laughs> Fantastic. Did you have coronation chicken? Yes. Coronation quiche? Yes. Okay, both. Okay, Fantastic. Uh, it was interesting uh, watching yesterday, and I, I, I googled um, Bristolian's views on the coronation, and the Bristol Post uh, came up. Obviously, I love the Bristol Post, it's got some great um, stories in there. So um, this is one of the headlines in the Bristol Post. One in five people in Bristol think they're related to the royal family. <laughs> so that means one in five of us, statistically, is anyone here related to the royal family? One? Okay. Are you really? No, you're okay. You're just hoping. Okay. Well, interestingly, I just, I dug a bit deeper and the story is actually that there was a survey done and it's 19%, which isn't, isn't quite one in five. And, uh, and actually it's the whole country, not just Bristol. So they're just taking Bristol. Anyway, poor, poorly researched story, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know if you thought about being related to like someone who's really important. If you thought that you might have some link to the crown and what would it be like to be the king? I don't know if you've thought about that, or the Queen. Uh, maybe yesterday, if you were watching it, you were thinking, I wonder what it feels like to be him in that situation at the moment. What would it feel like? And what would you do if you had all that power? Uh, the Guardian, I read various newspapers, but The Guardian <laughs> said, uh, I, read, I, read, I read around. Anyway, the, the Guardian was talking about the cost of the crown, and the cost of the crown is... Uh, they have a jewellery collection of 100 million pounds, apparently. A property portfolio, fleet of cars, 6.3 million. A stamp collection worth 100 million. Pretty cool. So anyway, if imagine, yeah, some real, 
you stamp collectors? <laughs> no, okay, very exciting. Um, uh, I wonder what you would do if you had all that power. What would you do with it? Well, this is kind of the question that might be posed of Jesus and actually was a question that St. Paul is kind of flipping on its head in this passage. If you were king, in fact, if bigger than that, if you were God, what would you do with that power? And St. Paul writes these amazing words about Jesus that I want to unpack. And maybe we can take something, each of us, from this for our own lives. So here's three little things to draw out of what St. Paul says. Firstly is this, know yourself. And this is focused on the divinity and the humanity of Christ. I think we've got a little slide for that one. Know yourself, the divinity and the humanity of Christ. So firstly, the divinity of Christ. Verse 6, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God. That's a big statement about Jesus. Uh, verse 6, being, say, being in the very nature of God, and then equality with God. These are really strong statements about a person. The claim here is that Jesus was not just a man, but he was, in, in fact, God. And not just a demigod, not a great teacher, not a prophet, although he was all those things, but almost bigger than anything else you can imagine, God himself. So that's a big claim. And those kind of claims have to be tested. You can't just assume that that's true. In fact, you'd probably want to ask some serious questions. I love what Kieran was saying earlier about being skeptical. It's good to be skeptical. You don't want to just believe something for the sake of it. Just even if it makes you feel good, you want to analyze and work out whether it's true. I couldn't be a Christian if I didn't believe it was true. And the claim here is that Jesus was God. Now, this is a great question to unpack. In fact, we look at it on week, week two of Alpha. Who is Jesus? It's one of the biggest questions, probably the greatest question to ask yourself. But what's interesting is that there is, uh, you often find in popular culture, a, a myth, uh, if you read the Da Vinci Code, that there was, uh, Jesus didn't believe that he was God, nor did his disciples, but many hundreds of years later, things evolved and Chinese whispers and eventually people came up with the idea that he was God. It was all uh, retrofitted many centuries later. The problem with that theory is that this is one of the earliest texts we have uh, about the divinity of Jesus. And it wasn't written hundreds of years later. It was actually written, uh, most scholars agree, about 20 years after Jesus' death. So most of the disciples would have been alive still at that time. This is probably a very early creedal statement that Paul himself is quoting because it was very commonly acknowledged and, and circulated around the Christians. Now, you may say, well, they, they invented it, but the, here's the clear argument, is that uh, there's no way that those disciples who had lived with him, if people had been saying, he's God, and they knew that he wasn't because they'd spent all their time with him, they would have said, no, the church will not accept that. And yet all those disciples who'd spent all that time with him and they'd seen his worst moments. You know, people who are under pressure, you see cracks appear, you realize that they're not who they say they are. But, and still through all that, the disciples believed that he was God. Whether they were right or not, that's up to you to work out. But that was a very early statement. So Jesus, in very nature, God. But secondly, his humanity. 
Verse 7, being made in human likeness. And verse 8, being found in appearance as a man. It's very easy to think either that things are physical and there is no spiritual, or they're spiritual and the physical is unimportant. Our culture is primarily in the first camp. The physical is all there is. Enjoy your life while you got it, because there's nothing more. And yet there is also sometimes the temptation to be on the other end of the spectrum and say, all that matters is how I feel. All that matters is the spiritual, the transcendent, and that this world doesn't really matter. In the divinity and humanity of Christ, we see that God values both the spiritual and the physical. That neither one is higher or more important than the other. It says that God thinks that matter matters. Your humanity matters. Your life matters because he came in the person of Jesus to be in that situation. So how does this affect us? This is Jesus' identity. Fully God and fully man. How does that affect you and me? Well, I would argue that to know your own identity enables you to live a life full of purpose and meaning and joy and peace. And Jesus, if he exuded this himself, surely he offers the same to us. But interestingly, our identity is the complete opposite to Jesus's. Our identity is not God. If, I, if I'm honest, if you saw my life, you would realize how fragile and broken it is, how many mistakes I make, how many times I wish I wasn't the person that I'd, I'd done things that I've done wrong. We've all done that. Our humanity is broken and fractured, and the Bible calls that sin. We are turned in on ourselves, obsessed with ourselves. And yet... Jesus, the reason why he came was to help us escape the absolute brokenness of our lives and put them back together again. That's what we heard about in those testimonies today. Amazing to hear of all four people describing the work that Jesus has done to change their identity, the way they see themselves. So to know your identity is to know that, yes, you're fragile and broken, sinful, but also to know that you are loved, forgiven, adopted, redeemed, repurposed for God's plan for your life, which is far more glorious than anything that you could have come up with yourself. So know yourself, know your true identity as you look at the identity of Christ. So that's the first thing, know yourself. Secondly, know excuse me secondly empty yourself empty yourself verse 7 Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant it's an interesting response what would you do if you had all the power in the world Jesus emptied himself of all of it I was, um, a few years ago, my, me and my brother, when we were a lot younger, we came up with the idea for a musical. And uh, we decided on the name quite early. The musical was going to be called Sweeper to King. And it would chart the rise of a very humble urchin 
on the streets of London, turn of the century. Imagine the picture, cobbled streets, there's fog, a little urchin, he's sweeping the streets, and one day he becomes the king. And we came up with a, a song as well to go with it. It was like the opening song uh, called Sweep It's King. It was the sort of theme of the whole thing. And um, it's never been sung publicly <laughs> until, well, this morning I had a go and failed. But this evening I'm going to have another go. Here we go. So here we go. Imagine, picture the scene. There's one sweeper. There's one light on him, one, one, one light. Everything else is dark. He's there with his little broom. And he goes like this. There once was a poor old sweeper sweeping the streets of London town. I once was an only sweeper sweeping the streets all around. I never learned to read or write, but I would sweep the streets by night. I never thought that one day I would become the king. Please, 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 please. And then imagine the, the, the curtains go back and there's 50 sweepers and they all go, oh, once, da, 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 da. amazing start. Anyway, we didn't get any further than the first song. But if you're an agent looking for some new material, I'm your man. Anyway, uh, but it's interesting that I, I tell you that story just because that's kind of in our psyche, isn't it? Commonly thinking, what would I do if I could get myself from where I am, elevate myself to the best position possible? How can I get there? And arguably, most of us spend our lives trying to get somewhere higher. We want to do better in our careers. We want to do, earn more money. We want to get more success, more fame. Whatever it is, we're all looking in that direction. But look at Jesus. It's the complete opposite. It's not upward mobility. It's downward mobility. It says he emptied himself. You know, the, the, the theological word is kenosis, self-emptying. To become nothing. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And what kind of crown did he wear? Not a crown of St. Edward, which weighed 2.6 kilograms, apparently, on the head of King Charles, but a crown of thorns. This was the life that he took. It was a life of service, of humility. He hung out with the people that no one else wanted to hang out with. And what I, I, I watched a bit of the service um, yesterday, and I found it really interesting that there was a moment in the service. We had it sort of on in the background. I was coming and going, and kids were running around. But there was a moment in the service where they put this little box around the throne. I don't know if you saw that. And they anointed him. But before they did that, they took off all the robes, all those funny things that he had, the orb, the... I can't remember what their names were, but all those different things. All the trappings of royalty were stripped of him, and he was left there in his shirt. And suddenly you saw this old, frail, slightly frail-looking man, stripped of everything. And that is a picture, I think, of what Jesus did. He had everything at his disposal, and yet he left it all behind for the sake of you and me, to die on the cross for you and for me. That is humility. And we often think that humility, if we want to try and copy that to have the same mindset as Jesus, is to think less of ourselves. To think, well, I'm not that great. Maybe I'm not that great. 
But actually, as someone once said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not that you aren't valuable. You are valuable. That's why Jesus died, is to tell you how great you are, how wonderful, how much he loves you. But from that position, you're able to serve. If you spend all your time trying to help yourself feel better, if you try and fill the gap with all these different things to try and make yourself feel better, you'll end up feeling frustrated, angry, sad, worried. If, however, you decide to let God say who you are, to listen to the words of Jesus, he gives you that security. So much so that you can then spend your life not trying to get it, but trying to serve. Not trying to grab, but trying to give. That is how Jesus did it. And that is what he asks us to do. And I love the picture of baptism. You know, everyone who went down, the picture here really is of dying and rising again. Jesus went down. He humbled himself to the point of death. And that is the kind of picture of dying to an old life. But that's not the end of it. Know yourself. Know how flawed and loved you are. Empty yourself for the sake of others. Who is it that God might be calling you to serve around you? Maybe it's your colleagues and friends. Uh, it's to offer them a cup of coffee or it's to help someone who you need, uh, who, who you don't need anything from, but you could give them something. What does it look like to serve your colleagues or your friends or your family? And then thirdly and lastly, we're called to empty ourselves, but also to worship the king. Worship the king. This is the authority of Christ. It says, after he had <clears throat> died, he was risen to life. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humbling ourselves is not the end, because God's promise is that if we humble ourselves, he will lift us up, just as he did with Jesus. And one of the encouraging things I've had is that the more I've tried in my life, and this is a failing, broken way of doing it, but the more I've tried to focus my attention on Jesus and not on myself, the happier I feel the more fulfilled I feel, the more able I feel to love others. And you know, that is the paradox. Is if you try and keep your life, Jesus said you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for him, you will find so much more that he will give you. Uh, recently, I, I got an email from a, a friend who's a, a colleague, works in Bristol, he's a vicar. And he uh, was asked to come and pray for a boy who's four years old and uh, who has cancer and they have given him not very long to live, uh, about a year. Absolutely devastating. He texted us as a group of us uh, vicars and uh, he texted us and said, I've just heard this horrible news, please would you pray? And we said, of course. Uh, and he actually then messaged us at the end of the day and said, we've just had this amazing uh, service that we put on for this boy Joel. And we decided that he should be in charge. He can decide everything, which song we were going to sing. He said we, he could decide what we were going to do in the service. And he said he wanted to have this song uh, called My Lighthouse. 
And uh, there's this great bit at the end that says, you know, he will carry me safe to shore. And uh, Joel was singing this song knowing, I mean, I don't know how much he's taken on board, but knowing that the future is very uncertain. But he said that th this, this friend of mine, Tom, said he was so moved by this assurance that this boy had that he was going to be with God, whether it's now or in the future. And for me, that summarizes both the difficulty of our human life, but also the hope that we have in Jesus. He said, right, this is at the end of his message. He said, at the end of the service, Joel uh, gave us communion and gave us all a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine and told us that it was Jesus's body and blood for us. And then he said, you've got to leave the building because all the old people are coming in now and you've got to give them space. But for me, that picture of assurance is not, is not simplistic. It's real. It's what's based in this scripture. It's what the gospel is all about. Is that yes, we might have hard times that we face, but there is a God who is with us, who will lift us up and elevate us to be with him forever. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the king of all kings. Thank you for the model of life that you gave us. That though you had all the power, all the authority, more than a hundred million pounds in stamps, you had everything. And yet you gave it all up to come in the person of Jesus, to die on a cross, to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from everything, to give us hope and future and an assurance that you will take us to be with you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us in the light of that to know how much we're loved by you. Help us to empty ourselves, to humble ourselves for the sake of others and to worship the King, the ascended Jesus, who puts everything in perspective. We ask that you'd help each one of us to do that. Amen.